welcome to Young Adults. We're glad you all are here with us on a Tuesday night as we continue in our Change Your World series. And this is what we've been saying the whole time, is that if you wanna change the world, right, then it starts by changing your world, that you have a sphere of influence, that you have people around you, um, and as you impact those people, you will change the world. I'm excited for tonight's message. And, uh, you know, a couple, week, uh, a couple weeks ago as I was starting to prepare um, to speak this message, I, I, I have this habit, all right, where I like to check um, news sites. Uh, each day I kind of check different uh, news sites and I like to see what's going on in the world. And I also love to look at headlines because it's like, depending on where you're getting your news from, you're living in a different world depending on what you actually want to read. But uh, there, there's something that I know about this is as I read it, it's very clear that uh, no matter what, like so if you took out your phone right now and you, uh, you know, hopefully you read the news at least some, if you took out your phone and you got on any news site out there, you would see something that you would classify as evil, as dark, and as heavy. That's why I like, it, it wouldn't even take us long. If we did it by a show of hands and you went on there and, and you looked at that, you would see that very, very quickly. And, the, uh, and I, I do this, I was looking at the news and I was just kind of overwhelmed one night. I was like, man, this is just like, this is dark, it's heavy. And I woke up that night, uh, and, and I don't know, one of my kids probably woke up, honestly. That, that, that's the joy of having kids is you get to wake up all night long. And so I woke up, and I was having a little bit of a hard time going back to sleep. And honestly, I just kind of felt this weight and this burden of really the, the heaviness of what's going on in our world and some of the headlines that I read, and, and it felt like a lot. And, and that's when I was like, okay, God, like, what, what do we do in terms of this? Like, when things feel heavy, right? And there's very clearly evil in our world. Like, how do we respond to that? If we're supposed to change the world around us, how do we respond to that? And I think this is a lot of people would say, they look at the evil in the world and they say, how could there be, how could there be a God? Like, if God is good, how could there be this, like, good God if there's evil in the world? The first question I would ask you, if you've thought that, is how do you know what good and evil is? Have you ever thought about like why, why do you have a thought process of what is right and wrong? And yes, there are differing opinions on what is right and wrong, but there are certain things that we look at in our world and we say, that's evil, that's dark, and that's heavy. Why do you think that way? I think that we, we think that way because God has created us to be in search of truth in our world. The second thing I would say to that is that, you know, God is still good in spite of all of the evil and darkness that we see in our world. And one of the reasons I know that to be true is because when we read God's word, here's what we know, is that he tells us there is going to be darkness and evil in this world because there is sin and because there is brokenness. So that's something that he's very clear, like this is gonna be something that in this world that you face, that you deal with it. So if, if our goal, right, as young adults is like, man, we've got hopefully decades uh, ahead of us where we can make a difference. I mean, that would be my prayer for all of you is that hopefully you have decades in which you can make a difference. It's like, what do we do in spite of that? And so I wanna look at some scripture tonight that really compares and contrasts this, this idea of like light and darkness. And what we see in God's word is that light is really talking about what is good, what is righteous or upright, and what is true. 
And in God's word, when we see darkness, it's really conveying what is evil, what is wrong, what is broken. So you have this comparison and you have this contrast. And kind of our launching point, our launching passage of scripture on which we'll build this, this idea on tonight is out of John 8, 12. And this is Jesus here, and, and, and this is him speaking. And he says, again, Jesus speak to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They will have the light of life, okay? I wanna take a second here, all right? I wanna spend maybe the next five minutes or so, just hang with me through this part, because this is really important. And I wanna break down, have you ever really, because it's really gonna impact this passage of scripture right here. Have you ever really asked yourself, how do we have a Bible in English? And, and we have this Bible, and how do we know that it's true, that it's accurate, that it's something like we say that the word of God is living and active and like we should base our lives around it? How do we know that it's legitimate? How do we even have a Bible in the English language? And so I wanna take a little bit of a history uh, uh, through how we got here. Because here's what I know, I think there was a trend uh, on TikTok uh, a couple years, a year and a half or a year ago or so, um, and it was really like arguing that the Bible has very much so um, been flawed and it's not valuable to us today because it has been misinterpreted and misused. And I'm here to say that that TikTok theology is really an inaccurate, view of people trying to push their own agenda, okay? So when we look at God's word, what it was originally written in is you have this Old Testament, your Bible's in two parts, right? You have the Old Testament, which is the time before Jesus is on earth, and then you have the New Testament. The New Testament highlights the life of Jesus and then kind of the early church's history thereafter and so on. So you have the Old Testament and the New Testament, In the Old Testament, you will find that what it was originally written in was Hebrew, okay? We have Hebrew and we have Aramaic. That's what the Old Testament was written in. Mainly Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic. And then the New Testament was written in what we would refer to as Koine Greek or Greek or common Greek, right? It was this common language that people could understand. And so how did we get from that and we got to like the Bible in English. And uh, when you talk about textual criticism, which is really the study of pieces of literature to see like their legitimacy, when we look at that, the Bible actually stands up very well compared to some other things. So when we look at these original manuscripts of what the Bible was written in, let's just kind of see how it compares to some other works that we might know. So when you look at some works, you, you think of like, um, you know, someone like Plato, and Plato's dialogues um, were, were written, and this is something that if you went to a public library, you could probably access. And the thing about Plato's dialogues is that the first copy did not come about until 1,200 years after the time of Plato. And there is only seven manuscripts that exist of Plato's dialogue. So 1,200 years, I mean, 1,200 years and only seven manuscript copies. And you would see something like that in your textbook, in your history textbook, and you would say, this is like factual information. And then let's think uh, maybe a little bit better here is there's Caesar's writing on the Gallic War, all right? And this was written, the first copy that we found is 900 years after it was written. And there are 10 manuscript copies, meaning 10 original writings of this piece of work. And we would say like, wow, that doesn't seem like a lot. 
And then we have the Bible, which is, we say is God's word, and we, say, and, and we hear these attacks on God's word all of the time. It's very common, right? And, and people want to nitpick it and poke at it. But here's the deal. As we look at those two pieces of literature, which are just two examples, how they compare to the Bible, did you know that just the New Testament alone, okay, the New Testament alone, there are over 6,000 manuscript copies right, Greek manuscript copies. I said the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. There are 6,000 Greek manuscripts of God's word, 6,000 of them. And the earliest manuscripts were written within 50 years of the events that happened. So we're comparing that to like Plato, 900 years. We're comparing that to 1,200 years. Like the Bible, the legitimacy of the text is so high It's like the gold standard when we look at textual criticism and studying God's word. It is like the gold standard of an accurate text and message. And I think it's important that we know that as young adults today. As we, uh, if we're going to base our lives off of it, it better be legitimate. And so you look at this Greek that was written, and there's six thousand copies. If you look at other languages that were very early on that that also exist too. When we look at Latin and Coptic and Armenian, there's another 20,000 manuscripts that exist of God's word, of the Bible. So you can see here, like that is a huge piece. Those are huge chunks. A lot of these the manuscripts are almost 450 pages in length, aver- averaging about 450 pages in length. What does that show us? There is a huge, a very high legitimacy to God's word. And so I say all that because I think it's important in what we discuss, but how did we get to the Bible and English? Well, basically what biblical scholars have done is they've taken those manuscripts and they translate and transliterate into the English language. A translation would be mean we have a word for that in this language and we translate it to this language. A transliteration, a word like baptism, all right? The word baptism didn't exist in the English language. So that's actually a translation. Literation. So the word baptizo in Greek, they actually took it, transliterated and created a word that we have in English. So that's what the process looks like. So people have been doing that. And did you know that for this process to happen, that people have actually paid with their lives in order for us to be able to have the Bible as we do now? You know, when we look at things like the Protestant Reformation that happened in the 16th century, basically it was this widespread theological revolt across Europe because the Roman Catholic Church had been abusing and had been misusing the text and had not been like, it's not free access for people. And so people started, like Martin Luther started to rise up against that. And things like the Protestant Reformation helped to push forward that people were literally killed, like burned to the stake, in order for us to have a text that they're saying, this is true, this is God's word. People paid with their life for it. That's how much they believed in God's word. And so we're the recipient, we're, we're like the beneficiary of that today. Things like the printing press made this more available. So tonight as I'm reading out of the ESV, right, the English Standard Version, this is what biblical scholars have taken from the manuscripts, the vast majority of manuscripts that we have, and they've translated it into English. 
And here's the thing, if you're like a church person, you've heard people argue about translations of the Bible. I think it is a great thing that there are different translations. Sometimes you might see we, you know, we have the New Living Translation, the NLT, or the, the New International Version, the NIV. Maybe you've never even thought about that and you're here for the first time, like, cool, don't care. You're really confusing me. I'm saying this all to say I think it's a great thing because it means that people are still passionate about God's word. That's a good thing. And so why do I say all of that about John 8, 12? Like why do we set all of that up? Because in John 8, 12, what Jesus says, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, as we translate things into English from Greek, sometimes we lose really the, the emphasis of what's happening. So Jesus' statement here of I am the light of the world is actually one of seven what they would call emphatic I am statements. What Jesus was saying here was not just like a passing like, yep, I am that. He was saying I am the light of the world. And what he was saying by that, this was a statement of deity. This was Jesus saying, hey, I'm not just another average person. I'm the son of God. In this statement, we see this like deified language. When we see uh, in the Old Testament, remember we said in Hebrew, right? In the Old Testament, when this I am statements are made, it's linguistically related to God. So we see in the old, this I am has meaning and importance. And then we see in the New Testament, Jesus saying I am has the utmost importance because he's saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We have to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. As we seek to change our world and there's evil and things that are going on that we would say are dark and are heavy, Jesus says, I am the light of the world in this emphatic statement. And so we have to pay attention to it. So what I wanna do tonight is I wanna look at some other passages of scripture. I wanna make some points out of that, of how we can go about being the light in our world and we understand that. And so in John chapter three, verses 19 through 21, says this, says, and this is the judgment. This, this is right after John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one son so that we wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. This is right after that. People know John three sixteen. This is what follows it. It says, and this judgment, the light has come into the world. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the light. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Do you know why there are people that are so vehemently against God and God's word and the church and Christians. Maybe you're in that situation like, I don't know how I feel about it. One of the reasons is, is because we are sinful people. Every single person in this room, by nature, we are sinners. That means we've done evil things that are not right in God's heart and we've contributed to the darkness that is in this world. But because of the grace of God, we've been forgiven of that. But if we choose to live in that, we can't follow Jesus and walk in darkness. It doesn't work that way. 
And what we read here in John is that there are people that will hate God's word. They will hate you, potentially, as a follower of Jesus. Why? Because their works are evil. And they don't want it to be brought into the light. They don't want that. I talk to many of you who, as you go about your workplace and, and you minister and maybe you face persecution there, or perhaps you're in a fraternity or sorority and you're getting backlash from people that uh, are speaking ill of things that are good, that are going on, that are pleasing to God. Do you know one of the reasons why that happens? It's because as people are engaging in evil, as they are engaging in the darkness, they hate the light. And so I wanna encourage you today, if that's you, they don't, hate, they don't hate you, they hate God's word. But I'm telling you that there's hope still. We can still battle against that. But that's, that's like the, the, I mean, very clearly laid out here, that there are people who do wicked things in this world and they hate the light of God's word. Hebrews 4.13 and, and Hebrews 4.12 is a very popular piece of scripture. Um, it says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of both soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Many people know that, but what they might not know is right after that in Hebrews 4.13, it says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I mean, y'all ever watch those survival shows where it's like, I think it's called Naked and, Afra- and, Naked and Afraid. Um, I think they might as well call that Hebrews 4.13 show. Um, but like, that's a very vulnerable position to be in, okay? I watch that show and I'm like, mm, I don't really love being out in, in the nature in just full clothing. So I definitely don't wanna be exposed to the elements and, and what have you. I wouldn't last very long. Um, but I, 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 like that's, that's literally the way that we stand before God. Nothing is hidden from his light. He sees it all. We are all naked and exposed to the one to whom we must all give an account. And, and, and what is done in the darkness will always come to the light. I mean, don't we see that with people? Things that are done in the darkness, we see this with politicians and people that we put on a pedestal and then we see that they fail. What always is done in the dark usually almost always comes to the light. And all of us will give an answer to God for all the things that we've done. So that should impact the way that we seek to live in our world and in our sphere of influence. I mean, that's like a, that's like a very true reality right there. And I think about it this way. Um, I was so disappointed whenever I was in college at Missouri State my freshman year. I was in a biology class. And... I was majoring in physical education, okay? So why am I in a biology class? It doesn't make sense to me, but you know, you gotta get that gen eds done. And so I'm in biology at Missouri State and my professor, she and her husband were going to adopt a child and they were gonna be gone for a couple weeks. So all I know about college is like, oh heck yeah, we're not gonna have class for two weeks. We had a substitute teacher in college. I didn't know that was a thing. And so you can imagine my disappointment. She's like, yeah, we'll have a substitute uh, teacher. I'm like, what? this is college. We don't, you don't do that in college. And so I was so sad about that. But I, you know, biology is a class that makes me laugh because you learn the same things. It's like you're making a diorama project. Anybody do those in elementary school? And you're like putting the biome together. And then in middle school, you're watching the eyewitness videos about it. Dun, 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 dun. You know what I'm saying? Some, I might be a little older than some of y'all. But you're watching those in middle school and then in high school school you learn about it again and I'm like really one more time in college I've got to go through this but you know what 
it paid off for this point right here. All of that, all of that backstory right there is just so I could make this one point. Um, that, you know, when you think of a rainforest, we oftentimes picture uh, a jungle, but really in the thick of a rainforest, like in a true rainforest, like when you're in the thick of it, what you see is that all of the life in a rainforest is 100 feet off the ground. And the canopy layer, y'all remember that, right? The canopy layer, okay? I don't know anything else about it besides that. But uh, in the canopy layer, that's where all the life is. But actually on the ground, did you know that in like the thick of a rainforest, only 5% to 0.5% of light actually pierces through and goes to the bottom. That's why you don't see hardly any large Animals, I almost said herbivores, but I wasn't sure if that was right, or uh, carnivores, herbivores, omnivores, got it. Um, You don't see many of those at the bottom. Thank you for the applause back there, I appreciate that. Uh, I got it, man, my biology teacher would be so proud of me now if she could just see me. Um, But at the bottom of the floor, there's really not much life going on, and there's not much light either because it doesn't make it there. And so I wonder sometimes if we are like that where we're walking around in darkness expecting to grow, expecting to flourish, but yet we have all this darkness around us because we've chosen to engage in an evil lifestyle, in a dark lifestyle, in in a lifestyle that is just contrary to God's word. We can't expect to grow and to change the world and to change people's eternity in that place. So while we're stuck there in that darkness, in that evil, what we gotta do is we've gotta look to Jesus. We need to be up in the canopy thriving. And that only happens when we live by God's word. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that happens, we are the light then when we follow his teaching, when we follow his commands, when we follow God's word, when we follow scripture. So much of our world is hurting and in pain because of that, because we don't understand this simple truth. And it's easy even as a believer to go through seasons, and I wanna speak to some of y'all in here. Some of y'all right now, because of the sin in your life that you're struggling with, and you, you kinda of feel like you're fighting against it, and maybe you've just given up, and you're like, it's just who I am. And you've just tolerated it. Man, will you stop tolerating walking around in that darkness because you will not thrive and grow in that. And what happens in those situations is Satan wants to feed us lies and push us out of the church. Ah, you don't belong there. You don't fit in there. Nobody likes you there. That's what Satan feeds us those lies. And really what we need to do is we need to engage in community, engage with people who will push us to the light and bring things to the light in our life by confessing sin and telling the people around us what God is doing or, or what we need God to do in our lives. That's the key to your spiritual growth. I love in John uh, 1, 4, and 5, it says this, you know, because a lot of this is heavier, right? A little bit heavier of a start um, to a message. And it says, in him, this is what John writes here about Jesus. This is right at the beginning of the book of John. And it says, in him was life. He's talking about Jesus. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If you are someone who believes in Jesus in here, one of the worst things you could be in this world is a Debbie Downer hopeless person. And I've met too many Christians who it's like, man, do you even have the hope of Jesus? 
What, is, what, what does John say right here? That Jesus' light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That if you're in here today and you have a relationship with Jesus, do you know what God's word says? Is that you have been freed from your past, that you're supposed to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus and live in light of that. So if you're seeking to change the world around you and to change your world, that's where it starts. Yes, there is evil in our world. Yes, there are things going wrong in our world. There are all kinds of things that are contrary to God's word. But that doesn't mean that the battle is lost. The victory has already been won through what Jesus did on the cross. And as a hope bearer of Jesus, it's our job to point people to that. It's our job. And if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, you would say, I've, what, what does it say in John 8, 12? It says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You probably have had times of despair in your life where you're thinking, man, the darkness has just overcome me. I got no hope. But what God's word says, hey, if you'll follow me, if you'll choose to follow Jesus, you know, right now, who knows what you're following? But if you'll choose to uh, give the authority of your life over to Jesus and to follow him, you don't have to walk in that darkness anymore. Jesus has already overcome the darkness that exists. He's done it. Will you walk in the light? Practical application here. What What do we do with this, right? Matthew 5, 14. There's so much in scripture about light and darkness. Man, if you'll start paying attention to that, there is so much in scripture. Matthew 5, 14 is, is uh, man, it's just so good. Uh, 5, 14 through 16, it says, this is Jesus talking here, talking to his followers. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That as you go about your life, the way that you change your world is by pointing people to the light, by letting your light shine, by living by God's word. And that looks like a lot of different ways. And sometimes we wanna change the world and we wanna do big things. I wanna give you an example here of something small that really caught my attention. You know, this church building is not brand new that we're in and there's work that needs to be done here. And uh, so one of the things that's been happening at our church, it's called a tuck point and seal, all right? You don't care about that. Uh, I don't really care about it either. I just know that they're doing something with the brick and it took them a really long time, all right? But it's good for the building. Okay, and there was these people here, here a long time, they were in lifts, they're like power washing, all this different stuff to make sure that our building is, is in working condition, right? And these guys are here for multiple weeks as this is going on. And uh, uh, Chris Talbert, who works here, who's, who's uh, in charge of kind of all the things building related, uh, Chris said that when these people, they had spent, these couple of guys, when the foreman of this crew Um, was like giving him the final wrap up of what all had happened. These guys had spent multiple weeks here at High Street, like three or four weeks they had been here. And the foreman went out of his way to tell Chris, he said, man, hey, thank you for your your people just like talking to us. Chris like, "What what do you mean? He's like, 
man, your people, they like acknowledged we were here and they came up to us and had conversations with us. And I'm like, really? That's the standard? That we legitimately live in a world where people don't even treat other people with respect and just have a conversation? That's like the tiniest way ever that we can be a light is by making people feel welcome and wanted. I can tell you, I was, I was one of those people that had conversation. I didn't know we were doing anything special. That's just having your God goggles on and viewing everyone who, as, as someone who has been created by God. That story stuck with me. Because I'm like, that. wow, what a tangible, small, little way to be a light in the world. So I don't know what that is for you this week. Like you can go home tonight and already start being a light. Sometimes we get paralyzed with, we have to have this huge vision to make a difference. Man, start with small things and they will add up. The light of the world. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can be the light in the world. And uh, you know, one of the things I took away um, from my time in, in teaching, I spent seven years teaching elementary PE. Um, great time, a lot of dodgeball, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, man, you wanna feel like a good athlete, go play sports with first through fifth graders and you'll feel real good about yourself, okay? Um, also pretty tall compared to first through fifth graders. So um, felt good about that as well. Uh, but one of the things I took away from my experience in teaching, some kids have had it so rough and it doesn't seem fair. It's not fair. And maybe you're someone who's in a situation like that and you've faced so much evil and darkness in your life and so much of it wasn't by your own choices. You didn't choose the things that happened to you. You didn't choose the abuse, the sexual abuse, the, 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 the poor home life, the bad friend group. Like you didn't choose the thing that happened to you. Can I just say that you have hope? And, and this story reminded me of that. I'm reading a book by uh, a pastor named Max Lucado. He's a little bit older, but um, he, he's got this book and it's called Six Hours, One Sunday. And in this book, he says, he goes, I have a friend named Joy. And Joy was a teacher, like a Sunday school teacher in like an inner city church in a rough area. And that she was teaching these nine-year-olds. They would come every single week they would, you know, there was kids that would engage and talk and silly and act goofy and whatnot. And, and there was engagement and like people, it was good. But there was one little girl who came every single week. And Joy said this little girl never said one word. She didn't talk to other kids. She never asked one question. She never asked to go anywhere. Doing like this girl was silent. She didn't even, she was wondering like, can this girl even talk? It happened week after week after week. This girl didn't talk to anybody. And one day, Joy gave a lesson in her classroom over the hope of heaven, right? The, 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 she painted this picture of there's evil and darkness in this world, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we have the hope of eternity in heaven where there's no death, no weeping, no hurting, no pain, no evil. And Joy said that this little girl raised her hand in her class called on her and asked her. And this little girl says, is heaven a place for someone like me? Is heaven a place for someone 
like me. And as I read that story, I pictured kids that I had in class that had been through so much trauma and so much pain and had seen so much evil and so much darkness and so much hurt. And what those children need, what those people need, what people who are in your fraternity, your sorority, at your workplace, what they need is they need the hope that yes, heaven is a place for someone like you. See, because this world, there is weeping and hurting and pain, but there's a future hope, a promise of heaven where we get to be with Jesus, who is the light of the world, but he's not just the light of this world, he's our light for all of eternity, that we get to be united with him and our creator and living life the way that it was intended to be, that no matter the evil that has been done to someone, the evil that they've caused, that when entering into a relationship with Jesus and choosing to follow him, we get to be a part of that light. We're welcomed into it. So as we close here, I wanna challenge you with a couple things. If you're someone and you'd say, I've never followed Jesus. I know I'm walking in darkness. I've never said yes to following him. Do you know all you have to say is literally yes. Jesus, I commit my life to you. That's it. And if you've never done that, it will change everything about the trajectory of your life. It will change everything. If you've never made that decision, don't walk out of the doors tonight. If you're watching online, don't, you're listening to this podcast later, don't like get rid of the message before you deal with that. With God, you enter into a relationship with him. Now I'd say this, one of the things we do and why we gather as a community is that sometimes we've messed up. Maybe you've been walking around in darkness and you know it. You have an opportunity right here as we respond in worship to come. We have our prayer team down here. You can pray with somebody. You don't have to pray with anybody. You can come down here. Maybe you need to bring some things to the light before God. Maybe you need to come down here and you need to ask God tangibly, how can I be a light in the world around me? I wanna ask you to bow your head.